Well, we'll be in Mark chapter 12 as we study together. I thought yesterday was a good day. We had, uh, I counted 48 folks to participate in that effort. And some of those folks were, um, uh, were out knocking on doors. And I know some of them probably didn't feel like being out knocking on doors. And it was a, a real effort uh, for them. And I'm grateful that they, led that they led the charge. They led the way. And they, they showed us and taught us something about commitment. And I, that didn't go unnoticed for me. I appreciated that. We had some folks that participated in other ways that they could uh, that did not include going and knocking on doors, but they were a part. And so that is appreciated as well. Yesterday was encouraging from a standpoint of being able just to sit and reflect a little bit for, for a few minutes after we uh, went out and knocked on some doors. And, and how I viewed that was it was an opportunity for us to be real humans connecting with real humans and life. Things that are going on in, in people's world. And I think sometimes we, we do church in a sense that it's almost like a, a checklist. Did I read my Bible today? Well, let me mark that down. The Bible talks about uh, being like the noble Bereans, that they search the scriptures daily to see whether or not those things are so. And so we read two or three verses, and we checked that off. And just as a sidebar, that's not really searching the scriptures daily to see whether or not those things are so. But we check it off the list. We pray three times in a day. We, we pray before breakfast and lunch and a dinner, and so we, we mark that off the list. And maybe even in the prayer we said something about, you know, a neighbor or somebody that's going through something, and, and that's where it's left often. Because it just kind of starts and stops right there. But yesterday was real. Um, if, if you were like me, I, you probably knocked on 18 to 20 doors, something like that. And, and uh, maybe 25% came to the door, which is actually pretty good on a beautiful Saturday morning when folks could be doing all kinds of different things on a Saturday. Uh, but 25% coming to, to the door, I thought that was a good thing. And... and uh, what I've found out about living in this town for just a short period of time is that people will open up if you make somewhat of a connection with them and let them know that you really genuinely care about them. And that was the case, I know, for several of us. And I don't take for granted the fact that someone was able to, to talk about some real hard stuff going on in their life for just a few minutes when we were standing at the door together. One of the things that came back yesterday that haunted me and hurt me was, was this. I was a member of that church, and I will never go back. I, I don't know what your personal experience was when that comment was made, how you felt about it, what your thoughts about it. I don't know if you went into defense mode. Well, how, how dare that? Well, I can't believe that, well, we probably don't 
I don't know how you responded to that, what you thought about that, how you felt about that, but, but for me, it hurt. That really bothered me. I have no idea who it was. I have uh, no idea where they live. I can find out. Um, I have no idea what the issue was, but it bothered me. It bothered me. And I wonder sometimes if we think about the impact that we have on people personally that could result in such a response. Maybe it's something that a young person says to another young person that is hurtful and unchristlike, and results in a young person not wanting to go back to that church. I wonder if it's something that is said from the pulpit or in a Bible class, whether in the auditorium or in one of the small classrooms. I wonder if it's something that's said that that's uh, maybe not the best time to say that and maybe not the best way to say that. And, and, and that somehow is a discouragement from folks to come back. I wonder if it is a sense of un, um, an unauthentic practice or non-authentic practice of our Christianity. I wonder if it's this idea of wearing the name Christian, of going to church, and seeing the Christian in action if they say, well, that's incongruent with what you say, and therefore I don't want to be a part. I, I wonder if it is a sense in which you come across as though I am right and I am unwilling to listen to any one else and I I'm better than everyone else I wonder if that is a piece that sometimes causes people not to want to come back say what do you what's your point I, I know that sometimes I get in this reflective mode and I just kind of talk out loud and I I don't apologize for it it's just me if you don't like it I'm I mean it's that's just me. But Mark chapter 12 made me, and yesterday made me think about this a little bit. So in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is in the temple, and backing up into chapter 11 as well, Jesus is in the temple, and he's going about the temple. These elitist Jews were there in the presence of Jesus, and they began questioning him. And it was a very... Um, rabbinical way of teaching just to ask questions and so the Jews were asking questions of Jesus and then as you continue to go into chapter 12 you'll see that Jesus started asking questions of the Jews as well and so there was this back and forth that was going on and it's it's really interesting study if we had the time to just go through and look at it all of it in detail but these these people were the religious people, and it's prior to the beginning of the Christian age, 
And Jesus is talking to the Jews. And the Jews were who? God's people. They were his people. Now, they weren't really, in some ways, acting like his people. It reminds me of Romans chapter 4 when God's people, the Jews, were bragging about being, um, being of Abraham. Well, God, we're, we're somebody. We're, we're Abraham's people. And, and Paul, in essence, these are Neil's words, not Paul's. I'm just paraphrasing. He, but he said, so what? You say you're of Abraham, but you're not acting like you're of Abraham. You don't have Abrahamic faith. And, and so they, were, they had the, the right religion, if you will, but they weren't acting like they were in the right religion. Their hearts, their attitudes weren't there. But boy, oh boy, if you watch them walk around town... They presented themselves as if they were somebody. You heard of the phylacteries, the box full of scripture, and the the tassels that would hang down. And I'm told through reading that the longer the tassels and the more ornate those tassels were, the more they identified as being something special in the kingdom. And I can't help but wonder if that type of attitude and mindset had a negative, a negative effect on people that were searching and wanting to be God's people. And if in some way, somehow, when Christendom begins in Acts chapter 2 with the establishment of the church, if there were some people on that day that were reluctant. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just me thinking out loud, but I can't help but wonder because I know human nature and I, I know the way that, that humans think sometimes. It's, well, man, if that's, if that's the way the people of God are going to be, I don't want anything to do with it. And I wonder if on that day, on that day of Pentecost, when, when Peter's doing that great proclamation of truth, sharing of the gospel, a simple message. Jesus, he came because he loved you, God loved you, he died for you, and, and you know what? You put him on the cross. Your hate for Jesus put him on the cross, but, but he didn't stay there, praise God. God raised him from that dead, and God glorified him, and now, Acts 1, he's gone back to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God, and and man, there are folks that heard that message, 3,000 to be exact. There were 3,000 people that heard that message and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent. Change your mind. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. 3,000 people did that. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful day that was. But I wonder, were there some folks that said... I don't know. I don't know about this. It sounded good. It sounded powerful. It, it's pretty convincing, but I don't know yet. And I wonder if it was the impact of words or actions of someone else that hindered them in the moment to be Christians.
As you look at this powerful passage in chapter 11, verses 27 and following, uh, what you have is you have uh, several questions being asked from the Sanhedrin, representatives of the Sanhedrin, and then Jesus responds to that with a parable in chapter 12. And then you've got more questions being asked by the Pharisees and the Herodians. And then the Sadducees are asking about the resurrection. And you, of course, remember why they're called Sadducees. They're so sad, you see, because of their doubt about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you come to verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all. Let's see. Which is the first commandment? Another translation might even say, what's the greatest commandment? In fact, when you look at some of the corresponding uh, texts in Matthew and in Luke in particular, you've got that idea of the greatest commandment. So what is the greatest commandment of all? Now this is where our our antennas go up, right? We really start to pay attention because I'm interested in What is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said, the first, the greatest of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Here it is. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, And with all thy strength, this is the first. This is the greatest commandment. And just in case you missed it, Jesus is saying, love God with everything and with all that you are. Love God with your intellect. Love God with your emotion. Love God with your volition or your will. Love God with your actions. For you see, if you don't love God with your thoughts, and you don't love God with your emotions, and you don't love God with your will, and you don't love God with your actions, then you don't love God at all. You have to love Him with everything that you've got. Now, Jesus follows up. You didn't ask about this, but let me give you number two. The second commandment is like it. Namely, it's this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Love God. Love your neighbor. Yesterday, I, I don't know how you, how you went about doing your door knocking. Before, before we went out, we made the observation that there's not a right or wrong way to do this. I mean, I suppose you could have walked up to one of our, our neighbors in our uh, nice community here and and you could have pulled up their flowers out of their flower bed and, and knocked on their door and said, hey, neighbor, and shared flowers with them. And by the way, these are out of your flower bed, and they're so nice. 
That probably would have been a wrong way to go knock on the neighbor's door. But other than that, there's probably not too many wrong ways to go about the practice that we engaged in yesterday. One of the things that I said was, it's been a while since we've knocked on a neighbor's door because of COVID, and we're just trying to reacquaint ourselves with our neighbors again. That's one of the things that, that I said. And, and as we engage with our neighbors, you know what we were doing? We were showing interest. And Jesus said, the second commandment is to show interest in your neighbor. Not showing interest, but to love them. To put their needs above your own. And so yesterday, when, uh, when we knocked on that door and we visited with a neighbor and, and we asked, perhaps, if you did this, is there anything that, that we could pray about with you or maybe for you? Some came back and said, yeah, there, there, there was a need. There, there's, there's this life event, and there's this life event. And, and we took time. We, we took a, a good bit of time, and, and Danny led an excellent prayer uh, for those needs. And you know what we were doing? We were loving our neighbor. There were some special requests that came up uh, during yesterday, some needs that presented, and those were shared that we can help with physically. And so we're going to try to, to follow up and help with those. Phys- you know what that is? It's loving our neighbor. But there are a host of ways in which we love our neighbor. And just like we love God, we have to love our neighbor. Well, how do we love God? with how we think about our neighbor. With how we feel and connect emotionally, meaning how we care about the emotions of our neighbor. Our will regarding our neighbor, do we put them above ourselves? Our actions regarding our neighbor, do we actually care for them and demonstrate it in those actions and helping. That's loving our neighbor. But I want you to underline something here. I don't want us to miss, miss this point. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know what Jesus is is saying? He's saying a couple of things. One, you treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. Right? The golden rule, whatsoever you would that others should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You treat your neighbor the way that you want to be treated, one. But number two, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. You've heard me talk about the the importance of positive self-talk, positive self-image, positive self-love. And I think that's right. But I think it's right because Jesus says that it's right. 
Because Jesus knows that you can't really love other people if you don't really have love for yourself. And maybe there's something that's, that's causing you great conflict. Maybe it's the way you've been treated by a friend. Maybe it's the way you've been treated by a family member. Maybe it's the way you've been treated by whomever. And it's had a tremendous a- impact on the way that you look at yourself. And now you're self-conscious. And now, now you can't even look at yourself in the mirror. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that someone said something or did something to cause you pain. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry that maybe as of late, you don't love yourself. May I try to help you correct that by reminding you that God loves you and you're important to God. And your biggest why, your biggest purpose in life is to honor and glorify God and one day go to heaven. Let that bring some joy into your life, even if nobody else is putting joy there. Learn to love yourself. And then you can love others and thereby love God the way He commands. Now here's what's interesting. He shifts gears a little bit. In verse 35, he says, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. On the tale of Jesus talking about the greatest commandment, which is love, he then talks about who Jesus is, and then he says the common people heard him gladly. Why did the common people hear Jesus gladly as Jesus talked to the uncommon people, the the elitist religious folks about who Jesus was. Why did the common people hear Jesus gladly? I can't help but think, did they hear him gladly because they said or thought, You're getting ready to get yours. (laughs) Watch out. There had been this this message, this call that, that there is coming a Messiah. There's coming an anointed one. There's coming the Savior of the world. And here is Jesus, and Jesus claims it, and we're not going to refute it. Jesus claims to be that Savior of the world. And so you know what he's going to do? He's going to topple your religion. He's going to topple over Rome and he is now going to sit on a throne on earth as the king and we're going to have somebody on our side I wonder if that was part of it but I wonder how Jesus felt if it was 
One of the things that we know about Jesus is that Jesus loved everybody. 1 Timothy chapter 2, who will have all men to be saved and come into a knowledge of the truth. There has never been a single person to walk upon the face of this earth who did not have value to God and who God did not want to see one day in heaven. Not a single person, not one. Not even the most wicked people on the planet. In fact, it was the most wicked people on the planet that Paul said of Jesus, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die per adventure, for a good man some would dare to die. But God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, the most wicked, while we were yet sinners, at that moment, Christ died for us. So these folks that walked around thinking that they were somebody with the phylacteries and the tassels and the, by the way, not taking care of the widows, verse 40. Jesus died for them too. He cared about them. Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is the son of David. That's what it says in verse number 35. And what we have, in essence, is a quotation from Psalm 110 and verse number 1. And Jesus is telling them in the temple, he says, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I sit my enemies on my my footstool. He is the son of David. He comes from the right line. And they did not doubt that that the Savior was going to come from David, and Jesus was identifying himself as that person. For he says, the Lord said to my Lord. And if in your English translation you see the word Lord, the first word Lord capitalized there, and the second word Lord not capitalized, you may be asking yourself, well, what are the, what's the difference in the original language there? There is no difference. In fact, if you have one of those little snazzy apps where you can touch on a word and see the original word. It's the word kurios. Kurios. And in the Greek, there was no distinction between Lord, which would have been translated from Yahweh or Yahweh in the Old Testament. There, there's no, no word that would have been similar to that in the Greek, and so they would just translate it kurios. Now, why? Because under the Old Covenant... Jews identified the word Yahweh as being a word that that they just didn't want to touch. It's so holy of a word. We can't touch that word. And so sometimes what they would do is they would take the equivalent of the the Greek kurios, meaning um, Lord, husband as it was sometimes used, servant, and they would use the word Adonai because they couldn't touch the word Yahweh covenant name, the relational name for God. And so then in our English translation, identifying that it was just kurios, context would often determine, okay, are we talking about all caps Lord or lower caps Lord to to make a distinction between the two. And so the Lord, Jehovah, said to my Lord, Jesus, Messiah, anointed one, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the son of David. Who is Jesus? 
Jesus is Lord. He's Master. He's the right Jesus. <laughs> He's not a false Jesus as the Jews would identify Him as. He is the right Jesus and He is the Lord, the Savior Jesus. So David himself called Him Lord and once is He then His Son? The common people heard Him gladly. I wonder if they heard Him gladly as a second thought. I wonder if they heard him gladly. Not because it was a turning of the tables. Not because it was, okay, Jews, now you're going to get yours. But I wonder if they heard him gladly because they had a better appreciation of Scripture than did many of the Jews. If you look in chapter 12 and verse number 10, Jesus said, and have you not read this scripture? Have you not read this scripture? This is how the Jews could miss the Christ. In point of fact, this is how anyone today can miss Jesus because they don't know the Scripture. And so I wonder, is it possible then that the common people knew that there was a Messiah coming? That the Messiah has arrived, Matthew chapter 1, and that we are in the presence of the Messiah and he's telling and sharing something wonderful about how we need to love God and how we need to love one another and how that one of these days maybe we can go be at the right hand with Jesus. And Jesus said, uh, I need to tell you Jews something. You beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms in the feast who devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. He's speaking directly to the Jews, but, but I'm wondering how much the common people are on his mind as, as, he's, as he's talking about the Jews and talking to the Jews because he loves them, and he, he certainly doesn't want them to, to be lost either. And I wonder if he thinks about those common people a little bit, and he's thinking, oh, please don't be like these folks. Don't be like these folks. No, you can't, you can't ask for the chief seats in the synagogue and the uppermost rooms at the feast. You can't do this, and you're not going to wear these, these types of garments. You can't do this, but don't have that attitude either. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus is recounting the Old Covenant, Jesus goes beyond ideas such as don't commit adultery. He says, don't even commit adultery in your heart. What's the point? The point is, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter, which is a matter of the heart. Change your heart. And he says here in verse number 40, 
These folks didn't have a, have a heart for people. They claimed to be somebody religiously, but they robbed widows. And they put on a show religiously. They were concerned about optics. Do we ever get concerned about optics? I showed up for, I showed up for church, but did I really worship? I bowed my head to pray, but did I really pray? I showed up for an activity affiliated with the church, but was I really engaged? You see, Jesus says, Jesus says, be real in your love for me and for others and don't do it for the optics why well here's the big ouch they shall receive the greater condemnation you mean to tell me that there are degrees of reward and punishment in eternity Yes. I can't help but think about some of those folks that I've had the privilege of sitting and studying with in countries far less blessed than ours. I remember one time, one of my first times to go to Africa. I've been several times, but one of my first times, I'll never forget this. A Bible study had been set up in uh, someone's home, and this home was made of, of uh, uh, cow manure and clay. And inside this home was wooden furniture. And the Bible study had been set up the day before, and by the way, we're going to be studying, they were told, we're going to be studying with an American. And you mention American, it's like rich, you're rich. Even if you're American making $10,000 a year, you're rich. And I walked into this, into this house, and here's this wooden furniture, and it was shiny. I mean, it was so shiny. It's like, it, like somebody had just emptied an entire can of Indust on it. I mean, it was so shiny, but it wasn't Indust. It was fuel. It was fuel. And so I'm just glad nobody pulled out a match, but it was fuel because that that shined the furniture. And when I sat down on this piece of furniture, I just slid right across it. (laughs) I remember one time going to the market for a Bible study. And I went to this lady's restaurant. Let me tell you about her restaurant in the market. It was made up of a single bench, not much wider than this pulpit, this lectern. It was made up of a single bench, and right on the other side of my knees is where the owner slash cook slash waitress did the cooking and did the serving. It was all done right there. We had a Bible study together. And she had said something in Swahili, which at the time, my Swahili is not, was not as good as it is now. And it's still not very good, but I understand more now than I did. But she tells someone to go 
and bring back a couple of Cokes. And they were 25 cents a piece at the time. I don't know what they would be now. But this worker brings a couple of Cokes. And she gives me one, and she takes one. And then she gives me a loaf of bread. And she said, you have given me the bread of life. And now I want to give you a loaf of bread. As I think about degrees of reward, I can't help but think about African Christians who many live in complete poverty. If when they stand before the judgment bar of Christ, they hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord, and they get into the timeless side of eternity and they see heaven, if they just don't sit in complete amazement at the mansion that's been prepared for them, in comparison to someone from America who has much, who likewise hears those same words, you've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And, and we get there and, and we, we stand in absolute amazement. But I, I wonder if it doesn't mean something just a little bit more to them. Degrees of reward. But there are also degrees of punishment. In Matthew chapter 11, listen to what Jesus said in verse 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Verse 23, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon, Sodom, it will be more tolerable in judgment for those wicked cities than for you. And so when I take those words and allow them to help feed the context of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 12, folks who wear the name Christ but don't love God as evidenced by their lack of love for people, especially one another. It will be worse on the day of judgment for you than for Tyre and Sidon and for Sodom and for those that have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That hurt. I used to be a member there, but I'll never go back. Why? And 
May it never be because of something that we said or because of something that we did where we just were choosing not to demonstrate the love of God. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to become a child of God. There's nothing greater that you could be doing in this moment than making a commitment to put God first in your life. To say, I'm tired of being the Lord of my own life. Uh, Maybe I've been successful physically, financially, but in other ways, I'm tired of falling flat on my face. I'm tired of being my own Lord. I'm, I'm ready to identify Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so you'll say, Jesus, I believe Him to be the Son of God, and I want Him to be the Lord of my life. Based on that confession of faith and conviction, and your repentance changing your mind about who you serve and about sin, you will allow yourself to be immersed in water. We have a baptistry right here. Most are aware of that. And we baptize not because it's something that we we feel is the right thing or not because we want to show something that's outward because of something that's already been experienced on the inside, but but we do it because of what those folks on the day of Pentecost did in Acts chapter 2, which was so wonderful when... When they heard the message of Jesus, they said, we want him. We want him to be our Lord, and please, we, we, we want to change our mind. We'll repent. What do we do? Be baptized. For what purpose? Acts 2.38, for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, I'm in. I'll do it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're ready. If so... Make this morning's invitation yours. Together we now stand and as we sing.